And you are listening to 94.1 KPFA and 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, 97.5 K248BR in Santa Cruz, and online at kpfa.org. The time is 3 p.m. Stay tuned next for Cover to Cover with Jennifer Stone. Happy ending, nice and tidy, it's a rule I learned in school, get your money every Friday, happy endings are the rule, so divide up in darkness from the ones who walk in light light them up boys there's your picture drop the shadows out of sight this is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Today is August the 16th, 2016. And before I start talking about women, I just wanted to mention to you, while it's still on the stands, the August 1st New Yorker. I grabbed that as I was leaving home, and I'm, uh, I'm excited. The editor of the New Yorker, David Remnick, has done a terrific job in Talk of the Town comparing the rhetoric of Mr. Trump. You remember Mr. Trump, I try to forget. Comparing all that doomsday stuff with Richard Nixon's speeches in 1968. You know, sirens in the night, here come, <laughs> here, here come the riots, the devils. Anyway, uh, I just thought you might want to pick that up. Uh, I don't know whether history repeats itself, but God knows the speech makers do. <laughs> I guess the thing to do, well, I don't know. I won't talk about that uh, speech that was stolen from Michelle Obama. That, that would be trivial. Poor, poor Mrs. Trump. She She had to do something. Anyway. My plan is just to talk about women from now until the election of Hillary Rodham Clinton this November. HRC made history just by getting that nomination, heading the Democratic ticket. That's a first. Uh, history happens. All these firsts. <laughs> a woman at the Olympics proposed marriage to her lover and uh, this, this lesbian couple I think is a first at least at the Olympics at the Olympics that's a first I love firsts uh, I'm not putting down here I have so many things um, I gotta spend a whole show doing trivia uh, let's see there's a uh, there's a thing coming up uh, it's called the state of black Oakland men so bomb 
presented by Paradise. I just just thought I'd mention it. They're planning. These guys are planning Oakland's 2020 World's Fair. It's a black men's convention. They're reclaiming reverence for the black man, the gatekeeper to the kingdom of heaven. I'm sure women will want to know about this. Special guests and speakers and, you know, all that good stuff. Uh, There's a new book they're putting out. The Ultimate Player's Guide. Well, that's certainly what guys need. Anyway, it's about making our communities greater centers of higher learning. Uh, More sustainable than their universities. Okay, the plan is to eliminate the N-word from our vernacular by 2020. And this is the bit I love. It tells how to find a feminine black woman who doesn't think she's God in this age of independent macho he-women. Okay, it's all about black men's health. Wealth and knowledge of self. Okay. The thing to do, you know, if you want a CD and make a book purchase and that kind of stuff, you contact Paradise. Paradise, right. At Oakland World. That's with an S. Oakland World's Fair. No spaces, no caps. At Yahoo. Dot com. Repeat that one more time. Yes, okay. Aha. Uh-huh. Oakland World's Fair at yahoo.com. Uh, also, let's see, www. Oh, this is so tiny, I can't read it. <laughs> True Vibe Records. Now, that's easy enough. www. True Vibe, that's F-I-B-E, records.com. Anyway, more about that later because it's something coming up. Now, as I said, I want to talk about (laughs) the history of women. And, of course, uh, history is all about it. There isn't anything that isn't about women Although, you know, on the practical level, I suppose it's romantic to hope that I'm going to see a woman in the Oval Office before I die. We know now that Barack Obama was or is a gift. And certainly the black community celebrated that event. See that uh, brilliant man and his family in the White House. Uh, That... I think, sort of changed our nation, historically speaking. And, you know, no matter what the ambiguities are, all those political issues, you just have to remember that Mahatma Gandhi is not running for public office. Now, my mother's favorite write-in candidate was always Eleanor Roosevelt, but politics politics folks is the art of the possible you know uh we just do what's doable when i said about this thinking of women i find that of course no matter where i look it's about women even if i go back to the very beginning the prehistoric stuff uh actually there's a guy, I think G.K. Chesterton, 
19th century, yes. He said, uh, mankind is a woman. <laughs> anyway, uh, Goethe, the great German philosopher, wrote, The eternal feminine leads us on. Now, poets and philosophers, they're not talking about gender, not about who's a girl and who's a boy. What they're talking about is the feminine principle. Let's call it eros, agape, uh, love of all. Uh, it's affirmation. It is life itself. Now, when we study the past, when we study history, we find that, well, it is, it is women who carried the buckets, uh, bore the children, fed the world, gave their bodies and souls for our survival. Uh, it has been males, actual males, individual males, who have been the so-called great, the uh, humanists, the humanists, yes, Schweitzer. <laughs> anyway, the messiahs, the saints, uh, and even the even the wicked guys, you know, Alexander, the Macedonian madman, and all of those, you know. We got a new crop coming up here. Mostly, uh, they have done this, become great, with the aid and support of women. Women who prefer to just get the job done. To make things work. Now, women found that males were glad to do the kind of work that brought fame, that offered primate grandeur. You know, uh, new Tarzan, me Jane. Jane uh, figures out what needs to be done. Tarzan does it. He's an engineer. It's all about this ego thing. Uh, male ego is always woman's best weapon. Oops, oops, wrong word. Uh-huh. It's the best approach, tactic, right? Our strategy has been to offer men power, to choose the men who are the most capable, the wisest, you know, practice the feminine principle, uh, the ones who work for social justice, for the liberation of the human spirit. And God knows, there's still a whole crop of those dudes. Of course, the problem, the problem with our species is this abuse of power. All the ways that ego, egos run amok. Aha. As Abigail Adams wrote to her husband, John, back there in the 18th century, she wrote, all men would be tyrants if they could. Emily Bronte wrote, My master's voice is low, his aspect bland and kind, but hard as hardest flint, the soul that lurks behind. Emily goes on to write about her struggle to escape uh, from the tyrant, the tyrant, I'm assuming that's her father, Patrick Bronte. Anyway, 
uh, his will, you know. Uh, uh, her own will, I guess maybe that's her libido, um, her inner self, soul, promises her, in the end, eternal liberty. Of course, being Emily Bronte, it's in a poem which promises that uh, this liberty, this liberation, will be the result of a short life. Yes, it promises for short life, eternal liberty. Well, she had pagan principles. Her sister, Charlotte, was also very down-to-earth. Of course, Emily's earth was pretty primal out there, you know, on the heath. Uh, on the heath. Heath means, yes, a heathen. A heathen is one who lives on the heath. Right. She's uh, mythic. She worshipped the Chthonic gods, they called them. Let's call them earth gods of the ancient times. Ah, uh, yes, pre-patriarchal religions, beliefs. Uh, these were based on the power of spirit. She called her soul her own. <laughs> That's still popular. Uh, I think I'll save the Brontes for another show. I have, uh, oh, I have four files on those wonderful women, actually. And there were three of them, but I digress. I want to start with just a little bit of Mary Wollstonecraft, who lived at the end of the 18th century. She's kind of the official mother of feminism in Western civilization, you know, the one who wrote books. She was into hands-on liberation, you know, uh, uh, votes and things. She was a freedom fighter, like Tom Paine. Let's see what she has to say. Just, I just have time to read you one passage, I think. Let's see, she writes at the end of her essay on uh, the rights of women and... Uh, <laughs> And the hope that perhaps someday they will share in society. She writes, With respect to virtue, to use that word in a comprehensive sense, I have seen most in low life. Many poor women maintain their children by the sweat of their brow and keep together families that the vices of the fathers would have scattered abroad. But gentlewomen are too indolent to be actively virtuous and are softened rather than refined by civilization. Indeed, the good sense which I have met with among the poor women who have had few advantages of education and yet have acted heroically strongly confirmed me in the opinion that trifling employments have rendered woman a trifler. That's the line my teachers used in school, yes. Trifling employments have rendered woman a trifler. Well, I still like to arrange flowers, but anyway. Uh, Mary Wollstonecraft, English feminist, goes on to say, right. She writes, man taking her body, the mind is left to rust. So that while physical love 
enervates man as being his favorite recreation, he will endeavor to enslave women and... Uh, uh, who can tell how many generations may be necessary to give vigor to the virtue and talents of the freed posterity of abject slaves. Yes, slave mentality. Aha. And we go on, let's see, the, the treatises, pamphlets, declarations of the writers and, uh, politicians like uh, Virginia Woolf in her room of one's own she talks about Shakespeare's sister you know what would have happened to her basically Virginia Woolf recommended being man womanly and woman madly madly let's see that doesn't mean what many people think it means androgyny androgyny does not mean being a hermaphrodite <laughs> It means being, what is that? Uh, being possessed of all the wise qualities, uh, call them masculine or feminine, whichever. The language, of course, is what strangles people like me. Uh, I think there's so many books I'm reading now about the misuse of language. I, I was always, uh, concerned about the fact that the English language is, uh, well, I, I don't want to call it advanced over, say, the Latin languages, but um, in France or Italy or Spain, all the Latin languages, they have what we call gendered words, you know. In France, uh, a chair or a table is masculine or feminine, so that the whole world is divided into these two categories. And, of course, then we get hardening of the categories, whereas in English, we do manage somehow to have huge chunks of our language which is genderless. Of course, then there's always the problem of that damn pronoun. Uh, uh, oh, yes, I used to send letters to editors writing S slash H-E so that they're both together and the editors would write back and say, no, 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 can't do that. It looks as if the he is contained in the she. And I would send him a picture of my sons and say, yes, that's exactly the way it is. But, of course, I suffer from pronoun envy. I think it's, uh, it was Kennedy who first began using the plural, uh, that saves trouble, you know, when you say uh, the presidents, the presidents of our nation, they will have to do this, that, and the other. That saves time, of course. Most people are used to saying he. Uh, yes, will everyone please take their seat? That's the sort of usage that I would have caught hell from, from my father, for example, uh, I think little changes like that do make a difference. Uh, I think I have just a minute to read you one more passage from Mary Wollstonecraft. She writes, A wild wish has just flown from my heart to my head. I will not stifle it, though it may excite a horse laugh. 
I do earnestly wish to see the distinction of sex confounded in society unless where love animates the behavior. For this distinction is, I am firmly persuaded, the foundation of the weakness of character ascribed to woman. It is the cause why the understanding is neglected whilst accomplishments are acquired with great care. The same cause accounts for their preferring the graceful before the heroic virtues. <laughs> yes, women used to say they they just didn't want to appear ugly. Uh, remember a passage in George Sand from uh, her male lover saying that the sight of her getting up uh, early in the morning to light the fires and wrap a rag around her hair and start start writing was so hideous. She was so so gross, you know, that he lost all uh, desire for her. Yes, be careful, girls. I remember getting up early enough uh, in the morning to uh, put my face on. Oh, thank God some things have changed. Uh, Austin Craft goes on to say, Women have seldom sufficient serious employment to silence their feelings a round of little cares or vain pursuits. And she goes on and on. She says, Should a more laudable ambition ever gain ground, women may be brought nearer to nature and reason and become more virtuous and useful. She wants them to drop their uh, romanticism. Yes, uh, romance kills, that's for sure. Uh <laughs> Today, I want to talk for just a moment about the muse. Woman has been cast as the muse in our culture uh, for many, many, for many, many uh, millennia. The poets and the writers always look to love to uh, their hearts before they put pen to paper. Uh, today... I want to tell you a story about a woman of our time. She's a muse, a myth. She's one of those who is or was part of the dream. She was a lover of Leonard Cohen. Dear Leonard Cohen, he's exactly my age. Uh, I always think of him as more of a beatnik. Uh, she's not, uh, what do we call that? Uh, she's not a, she's not a, she's not a sad, uh, she's not a sad woman, but still, uh, uh, I think the love she had for Leonard Cohen uh, was not what, was not what most of us think of as, uh, what do you call that, familial or marital love. Uh, she she gave him the inspiration for those songs which were the soundtrack of my life for so many years. Back in the 1960s, uh, Leonard Cohen's muse was Marianne, you remember, 
Goodbye, Marianne. That song uh, rung out the, the, what is it? Not just the pain, but the sadness our hearts broke. Now, I heard on the radio recently, last week, that the real Marianne is dying. I heard it, yes. Uh, the person who was telling the story said that when this news reached Leonard Cohen, he wrote to Marianne. Uh, I'm paraphrasing the story. I, I, I heard it, as I say, over the radio, so it's secondhand. But in his farewell, he says that he feels they are both at the end and that he is so close to eternity she has only to reach out her hand and he will be with her down the road uh, yes let's see she's 81 he writes of her beauty and her wisdom although the main theme of his farewell note is the nearness, the nearness of death, the final feelings, the closeness he feels at her departure. Now, this story, again, it's a report I heard on the radio. Uh, I, I don't know if Marianne is still with us. Uh, this story is dated that when she heard these words, when she heard Leonard Cohen's uh, note, uh, he talked about reaching out his hand, yes. When she heard that, uh, her friends say she stretched out her hand, stretched out her arm, reaching for him. Now, I don't know, as I say, if she is gone, but I wonder if it will be very long before we hear of uh, her departure and of his. The world of the poet, you know, the song is always in need of a muse whether women still want the job. Well, I I think the role is still open and a lot of women seem to take great pleasure in it. Uh, it was or is a sacred role, the role of the lover. Uh, women, yes, so love their sons that they gave them up to be crucified or at least... <laughs> Gave them the keys to the car, and you know what happened then, boys and girls. Uh, women gave man the throne. Yes, uh, all the old symbols and uh, images show woman uh, sitting on a throne with the son or the male on her lap. You know, that's the old painting today. That's a bit different, you know. That's something called a lap dance, uh, a perversion, of course, of the ancient image. It's a pornographic image of woman in the possession, position, pardon me, in the position of a sexual slave. This sheer of woman seems to be escalating in today's world. A dread of sexuality seems to be the truth behind this what is that surge, splurge of sexual images everywhere? Gross. <laughs> uh, the fashion is public sex. The evidence shows us that all this anger and violence directed towards sex, sexuality, 
is also directed toward women, toward this feminine principle. And, of course, it's based in fear. Now, some of the psychologists and some of the uh, <laughs> thinkers seem to believe that this is a fear of annihilation, a fear of death itself. Personally, I think it is. And next next time, I hope to read some of Barbara Ehrenreich. She has a great deal to say about war, men and war. Uh, I think what I think she is trying to explain why it is women find it so difficult to uh, to help men uh, in today's world. The uh, the evidence is that the the military is not just the rule; it's everything. Uh, uh, if we could take our military money and give it, you know, for social programs, we'd be we'd be free as a bird. Uh, all of us. By Friday, let me finish this with W. H. Auden, who wrote, "All I have is a voice to undo the folded lie, the romantic lie in the brain." Of that sensual man in the street, the lie of authority whose buildings grope the sky. There is no such thing as the state. No one exists alone. Hunger allows no choice to the citizen or the police. We must love one another or die. This has been Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Back again next week. Till then, go easy, and if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can.